What's up, gamers? This is the Battle Mallet Podcast. This is episode two on the precipice. The Battle Mallet Podcast is uh, just your bi-weekly journey into the minds of four busy gamers, their annual trip to Nova, the games they love, and balancing life with those games. I'm Jared. I'm Danny. I'm Trace. And I'm Jason. As I said, this is episode two. Um, we're going to talk about... Uh, you know, what's going on in our hot dice section. So what's going on in the games that we love, the games that we play. We're going to do a, a cracked glass section, which is a, just a brief jump into the Underworld's world. Um, and and uh, so we, we're going to start with a, a few quick announcements uh, and then we'll get the show running. So upcoming, uh, Trace, I'm going to pass this off to you. We've got a, an Underworlds uh, event coming up at the Atomic Empire in Durham, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that? We do. Um, it's it's a, um, it's a Grand Clash-style event. Um, we're not going to do the full Grand Clash five rounds. It's going to be three rounds, a little extended, just to get some of the people in the area kind of more used to the three-round format. Um, so, the three the for those who aren't familiar, the, the Grand Clash format is actually the best of three games across as one match. So we'll have three matches. So it'll be nine up to nine rounds of Shades Fire. Um, and that's coming up on March 16th at Atomic Empire. Where um, is Atomic Empire, Trace? Atomic Empire is in Durham, North Carolina. Um, and if you're interested, we'll have a link to that on our Facebook page. If you want to go check that out, um, I'll make sure that I post it in there and the event information is in there. If you have any questions, just please feel free to tag us on Facebook and we'll, um, we'll hit any answer. We'll get any questions answered for you. Okay. It's Atomic Empire serves beer. It oh, does. Yes, it does. And it's it does and Sour beer. Patch Kids. And Sour Patch Kids. And there's amazing Mexican right down the street from it. So and better barbecue even farther yep. down the street. Yes. yes. And, uh, and don't miss out, guys, because you may have a chance to win some ballot. Pa- oh, my Lord. I can't talk. Battle Mallet branded merchandise at this event. Ooh, fancy. Ooh. Our first piece of Battle Mallet branded merchandise. It's one for the vaults, nice. guys. There we go. There it Which is. Will be useful for gamers. Ooh, a little teaser there, Trace. I like it. So, yeah, so thanks. Um, I know I'll be there. Trace, obviously you'll be there. Jason? I'll be running it. Um, I'll probably end up just playing Ringer if somebody has, if we have an odd number, or I'll sit out if we have an even number, um, just to make sure that everybody gets a match in for the day. Cool. Jason, Jason will be there? I'll be there. Sweet. I will probably come to cheerlead. You don't, you don't want to throw the rats? I don't know. I mean, no. I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll surprise you because okay. it'll totally work. I like surprises. Yeah. I have right. no excuse not to. So um, another event that's coming up, uh, it's actually a couple months out, um, is the Barnyard Brawl Convention. So um, this is a, an event that's hosted. It's a three-day event in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and it's got Warhammer 40K. There's a team event on Friday. There's a, a 40K and Age of Sigmar tournament uh, that runs, I think, both saturday and sunday um and then kill team will be there underworlds will be there um so just a a general games workshop event Uh, i know that there are sponsors and vendors so it's more than just you know your your average two-day tournament um they're really branding it as a convention and we're going to try to get alan uh who kind of runs the event on the show uh on a later episode to give you guys more details but it's going to be april 26th through the 28th and uh we'll throw a link to the event in the show notes so you guys can go check that out. Um, I think Jason's going to try to go. Um, I've got a, a work thing, unfortunately, on the 27th, but I might be able to 
swing down on the 28th. Uh, it's not that far from us. Trace. I'm hoping to go with, I'm hoping to go with Jason if I can make my schedule work. Okay. Um, and I've actually been to that event. Um, and I, I went to the 40 K the GT for that last year and it was a lot of fun. So, um, looking forward to hopefully going again for a different game this time. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, and then, uh, you know, the, uh, the big event Nova. So registration was, uh, this past Friday, and uh, I think Ooh. we were all super stressed out. Uh, but uh, but there I think were no we had... pictures of loading screens sent back and forth between no, all of us multiple not, times. Yeah. <laughs> no 504 errors received or anything like that. So, nope. um, but I think everybody got most of what they wanted, and you know we'll have details on you know the exact events that we're doing and kind of what we're we're prepping for. You know, I mean that'll be segments in in future shows from now until uh, whenever whenever Nova hits. Um, so. Uh, we'll put the link for the Nova Open Store in the show notes as well. Um, I know that there are still some slots open for some events, but most of the popular ones have already filled up. But you can put yourself on a wait list or check out some seminars if that's something that you're interested in. Um, and we'll put that, the schedules that we signed up for into the Facebook page and stuff too. So if people want to come and say hey or come try and join the events that we're doing, they know what we're doing. Cool, cool. Yeah. So uh, that's it. That's all we've got for uh, the shout outs. Um, part of what we do for this uh, show is is trying to figure out balancing our lives uh, with the games that we play. And uh, Jason, I know you had something, you know, really cool happen this weekend. So uh, why don't you kick this section off for us? Uh, I sure did. And let me first just uh, start off by apologizing if anyone hears any coughing from a baby monitor. Uh, my daughter is a little sick and and uh, the monitor, she's coughing up a storm. So if it comes through the mic, I apologize on this episode. But uh, the other cool thing that did happen this weekend other than her getting sick is <laughs> I, I got to introduce my daughter uh, to Warhammer Underworlds. And it was really her her initiating like daddy i want to play your creepy game is exactly what she said and uh my daughter is five years old so well she'll be five at the end of this month so uh you know right kind of there where she wants to do stuff that that i'm into and it was really cool so what we did is uh we laid out two boards i let her i laid out all the war bands and i said just pick the one that you like and of course she goes with the creepy ghost because the briar queen is a girl and she's like i want to play the girl ghost daddy um so she got the the queens out and we set up just two random boards and i picked the two generic boards with like no damage or blocking hexes anything like that i put five objectives out one in the center and you know and two on each each uh each uh map and then i took all the the unit cards the the character cards and i put them all on inspired and i said honey all you have to do is know this is to move right and you get the little like hexagon and this is how many dice you roll when daddy's attacking you and then if you want to attack you look up here and this is how many dice you roll and she i cannot tell you like this little girl we played five or six games over two days once again she is totally doing this like i'm not pressuring her it's like she's just like i want to play that game she picked this this basic uh component of the game so quick i lost every single game nice <laughs> and more importantly, yeah right it, it wasn't like the sad thing was is as i was on my fourth and fifth loss i'm like i need to win just one so i'm like well what do i do um but 
the really cool thing was like she picked up the dice immediately. She knew exactly that she had to roll a smash or fury. She knew how many dice she had to roll. She knew what a critical that's correct. A critical <laughs> roll is. Uh, and boy, does that girl have some luck. She rolled double critical rolls on almost every single defense roll that there was. Um, but then really where it kind of hit home that she was getting it was, I believe it was in our third game. And, you know, I started to just explain to her that they all had special type powers. And Varklov has a special power where he can move all the other chain rafts besides the creepy queen and uh, it's the it's the bottom of the turn, so it's her last activation. She's already killed half of my Godsworn hunt, and she's like, "Daddy, I want to use a special power, and I want to move these ghosts onto the the um, objectives." And does she not score three additional glory at the end of the round to just further put the nail into her father's coffin? Um, but it was so a lot of fun, like, you know, and then on Sunday she played some Mangors because it had the really cute doggy with the spike collar. He is a he cute is dog. Cute. He's, <laughs> He's a good so boy. Cute. He's a good boy. Um, but it was just a really, really fun weekend to be able to enjoy something with my daughter and, you know, and pare down that, that, that hobby and fit it into our normal day where we got to experience something. Uh, I, I couldn't be prouder as a father for her wanting to engage in games um but yeah it was it was fun it was it was a good weekend that is so cool man so i I gotta be honest i was a little inspired and i tried the same thing with my not quite five-year-old and uh all he wanted to do was take the plastic figures and smash them into the other plastic figures so (laughs) i think i think we have a little work to do (laughs) also the difference between boys and girls i threw a ball and my dog got it and he brought it back that is definitely a critical right? Critical. Oh, <laughs> Jason, it it sounds like your daughter uh, is the new champion of Underworlds in this group, but I want you to know that you're still my daddy when it comes to this game. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I just kind of to balance to bounce off of what Jason was saying too, um, and. Just wanted to thank you guys for your support over the weekend because I wasn't able to be here to um, to record. We're actually recording on Monday instead of Sunday, which is our normal time because I had a loved one pass away over the weekend. And um, so I just wanted to say thanks to you guys for, you know, helping me balance my life and trying to keep me distracted in times of 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 pain. So, um, you know, I didn't get to teach my son how to play Underworlds. But I did get to see a lot of family and um, just really thankful for all y'all. And yeah. Well, hopefully we can nerd out for the next hour and help you think about something else for a little bit. That's the plan. That's the plan. We've got a lot of nice, tasty lore to come up here soon. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So, no, it should be good. Um, So, we'll take a break here and then we'll come back for a Remembrancer edition of Hot Dice. And welcome back. This is the Remembrancer edition of Hot Dice. So we're just going to take a few minutes and talk a little bit about what's coming up in the current events of 40K. And one of the most important things on all of our minds, I think, is the uh, is the next book that's going to be coming out for um, the Vigilist campaign. But spoiler alert, 
if you don't want to hear anything about the previous Vigilist book, please turn the podcast off. <laughs> but then turn talk- it on later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go go get the book and read it and then come back. And then and come then back and listen to all this. Listen to it again, yes. Um, so what we're going to kind of do is just kind of get into a little bit of the fluff, lore, backstory, whatever you want to call it, your term of choice. That creamy, and nougaty center. Exactly. All the goodies. Yes, juicy. All that juicy. Um, so I'm going to kind of pitch this to Danny and ask him the first question. So... Danny, why don't you kind of go into a little bit of the timeline for us? It's kind of, we don't really know what the timeline is for anything anymore in the 40K universe. They've changed the uh, the way they keep time inside the grimdark of the uh, far future. And Vigilus is the first book where everything is timestamped based off of the opening of the Great Rift. And... So it kind of creates an incongruous timeline where we don't necessarily know where this falls in, but if you can kind of make some assumptions like this book, the beginning of Vigilus takes place 200 years before the Great Rift opens all the way through about 14 years, 15 years after it opened, according to Vigilus time, which means that since the Indominus Crusade, which is when Gilliman sends his Primaris throughout the the Imperium to reconquer it lasts a hundred years after the great rift opens that this is already kind of taking us back in time based off of what we got when eighth edition dropped. And maybe even the fate of Conor hasn't been decided according to this timeline yet. So we don't even know when this happens. That's really interesting. Um, it's kind of funny that you said that because I'm rereading black Legion as like a lead up to, the new um, the new models that are coming out and in that book they talk a lot about how the time in the eye shifts like missions that the that the main character goes on could last thousand you know hundreds of years and and that's actually been like a day for another character in the book so I just find that's really interesting that you're saying that yeah you definitely have that coming up in this I think they even make direct mention of that same phenomenon we'll call it within the 41st millennium where because of this huge rift and the, the the closeness of the warp to reality right now, that time time is a flat circle, <laughs> and we don't necessarily uh, have the concepts. Got to pay HBO now. Throwing some Thanks. True Detective at you guys, but um, but yeah. So I think that's an interesting choice by Games Workshop because it allows them a lot of room to play, because we're not necessarily always moving the plot forward. We could be going back to reveal things that are quote-unquote already happened but we also don't necessarily know where they fall in so they don't necessarily have to be locked into a very set linear timeline yeah it's crazy to think too that like so spoilers one of the big events of vigilus is that um you know marnius calgar goes primaricize me um you know so he goes through the, the <laughs> you primaris get a biggie, fry, a biggie yeah. shake yeah biggie size me and to think that by the time the campaign of Conor has happened, that he's already been through the Rubicon. He's already died. Other and spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. Yes. Wait a minute. Like... He died and now he has a model? What in the world is going on? <laughs> yeah, it's I thought that like didn't happen. 
So, right, so, so just to be clear, though, he, he's not dead uh, in the timeline. He when he goes through the process of becoming Primaris, he dies on the table and is dead for like half an hour. And then his he ex, his body accepts the process and he comes back to life, which is very similar. If you remember to how the Gilliman thing happened in the Gathering Storm, he pretty much died and then came back. So there's something probably symbolic there. So what you're saying is that your brain was hiding in the corner in the surgery room for Marnius as well? <laughs> probably. Putting that Zeno's taint on there. There was, so was a, apparently a lot of old cherubs singing, and that's what did it. Yeah, any, other chapter, any other chapter could just do it and take it, no problem. But those ultramarines, they have to die first, and then they come back. Well, we right. are drama queens. We like being front and center. Yeah. So um, kind of to go off that a little bit, so... What do you guys like? What factions are involved? What factions do you think play the most pivotal roles in the Vigilist books? So there's a lot of uh, a lot of the Space Marines chapters. Um, you know, some of the box sets that have been out have revealed that. So the Space Wolves are definitely there. Ultramarines are obviously there. Whoop. Um, there's a Crimson Fists. The Crimson Fists are there. The Dark Iron Angels. Hands are there. Dark Angels are there. White um, Scars. And the 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 name of the chapter is escaping me. They're a Primaris only successor chapter to the Ultramarines. Yeah, I don't remember either, but there's a couple Primaris yeah. chapters. There's some Sisters of Battle. There's uh, obvious Imperial, Imperial Guard. Guard. Uh, uh, and the Admech are guarding one of their Forge worlds there. Well, it's, are there forge, I mean, it's an Admech there. heavy world. I mean, yeah. yeah. The, um, the, uh, the planet is kind of split between three forces. Um, Jared, help me out. One is the Mechanicus. Right. Um, then there's, there's the, Ecc like a, the Ecclesiarchy has one. That's right. right. The Ecclesiarchy is involved. So that's like the the religious folks, right? Right. And like the red tapey figures. Right. Uh, and then, oh, yeah, and you have the um, – there's a planetary governor, of course. It's right. <laughs> right. Uh, and those three kind of at the onset of this are already Game of thrones the hell out of each other and, you know, stabbing each other in the back and trying to – gain soul control of this planet because of course that makes sense when there's a big giant warp storm covering your entire right planet. naturally yeah that's what i think you know giant rift in the sky opens with you know faces leering down upon me and the first thing i think is let me fight with my neighbor about water yep right and like one of the intriguing things i think about this setup is we have an incredible story here written and we talked about how like the timeline has given Games Workshop a lot of room to play in the product world. But you look how they set this up from a product launch standpoint. Everything they've launched in 40K over the last year has tied directly into this. Yeah. Any one of those box sets, Kill Team, Rogue yep. Trader, uh, yeah. even to a certain degree, I think it's a little more tangential, but you could make a case for Blackstone Fortress. Mm -hmm. speed freaks ties directly into this yeah. like they've been building this yeah for years so, so speaking of speed freaks right that ties in more factions so the orcs yeah. are there and i so some of the stuff you know of course they're in in, in um they're in their their space rocks and, <laughs> and and the descriptions uh i think i'm pretty sure and i could be making this up but i'm pretty sure that it says that they're surrounded by like blue spheres of energy aka like or orc force fields weird dim, boys dim weird boys and and I want to say they use the word bounce when they hit the surface. <laughs> orcs don't bounce. Let's be real. <laughs> well, I mean, squigs are orcs, right? And squigs are bouncy. Yeah. So, but I think one of my favorite things about the orcs is 
the reason that they discovered that the force fields around the different hive cities ended up being down is because the orcs were constantly basically daring each other to run through the force field to see what happened. And at some point, an orc went through and nothing happened. And so the orcs then realized, oh, it's the force fields are down. Let's go. Which, well, and so oh, go ahead, Trace. correct me if I'm wrong, but like the orcs are there just basically racing each other the whole time, right? Like that's what the speed freaks are out there doing. They're just having races, which is why that whole box like comes into play. Well, yes and no, because the orcs arrive around the same time as the Great Rift. Okay. And they all land and they can't. So Vigilus is a big desert planet where instead of continents, they have these huge continent sized cities. And each one of these continent-sized cities is guarded by a big force field. And once the orcs figure out that they can't do what orcs love doing, which is shooting and bashing, because they can't get through these force fields, some they particularly fun orcs decided, well, let's just race around the planet. Gotcha. And so that's how the Speed Freaks things kind of started until what Jared said. But then those of you with a keen ear are probably wondering, well, how did one of these force fields get down? Oh, how did it get down, Danny? <laughs> well, I introduce you, my friends, to the Pauper Princes, which are the Gene Stealer cult, which is another product that Games Workshop has deftly launched on the uh, foreground of this whole thing. They've been there for 200 years, plotting and worshipping a giant Gene Stealer. And when the orcs arrive, they kind of freak out because their big plan, this like multi-century plan to overthrow this planet and make them all ready for a Tyranid invasion goes to pot because the orcs are there causing chaos. Mm -hmm. And so they decide we have to launch our big sabotage now. And they start uprising throughout all of these cities. So now you have struggles in the cities, you have ravaging orcs outside the cities and you have a, a tripod government that's basically at each other's throats at all times yeah. and a big hole in the sky. In my mind. And there's a, in my mind, I'm hearing the line from the American Tale when she's like releasing the secret weapon out of like the y'all yes. remember the American Tale? <laughs> yeah. We wish the secret weapon. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing in my head of this like Gene Stealer cult leader at the bottom of the mine, like trying to let out all this yeah. stuff. No, it's crazy. And there's like a webway portal in the north, and mm -hmm. so the Drukari are constantly raiding. <laughs> that that was honestly my favorite part of the whole book because like every now and then they'd be like, oh yeah, there's Drukari here too. By the way, <laughs> like literally, it's all it would be. It was like, oh, they killed a bunch of stuff and yeah. did. They were hurting some animals because took some slaves and peaced out. They'll be back. Yeah. Like so, in, I have notes for the show, and my notes for the Drukari says dot dot dot. Oh yeah, Drukari. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was oh, yeah. literally all I thought the whole time. So I mean that that's awesome that there's a thousand factions, and like you said, GW's been building this campaign for a long time to integrate as many armies as they possibly can, but. But why Vigilus? Well, like, why is it so important to to the war effort? Like, why is everyone gathered there? Well, that's a good question, Jason. So Vigilus is uh, a, a critical point in um, the only passageway from the original Imperium into the Imperium Nihilus. So the Dark Imperium that's on the other side of the rift, separate from Terra, um, separate from the Light of the Emperor. So... Uh, it being held by the Imperium means that the Imperium has a clear-ish passage between those two kind of Imperial bastions. And if Vigilus falls, then eventually what's going to happen, what, the inevitable result is that the Imperium Nihilus will become 
under chaos's rule which we cannot allow nope yeah yes we can <laughs> easy trace my boy's coming back so basically that whole part of the story is just setting the stage though um in a plot twist that should surprise absolutely no one, those three parties vying for control of the planet, the ecclesiarchy, the mech, and uh, the uh, imperial government. Um, Trace, if I had to give you three guesses, but the first one was only one that counted, who do you think has infiltrated that entire group? Good guess. It was the Gene Stealer cults. <laughs> Because of course they did. Right. And that's when my big boy, Marnius Calgar, shows up, double fisting all the bad guys in the face. Yep. Reestablishes Imperial control of the planet and calls all of his space friend besties, known as all those space marine chapters we talked about, to the planet. So now we have another faction on the planet. Yeah. Or factions. Yep. Damn ultramarines. And he's like Big, big Papa Smurf now. Yeah, like an extra foot taller yeah. and like four more organs. Yep. But Trace, I, I think you're muted, buddy. Uh oh. Sorry. Oh, you back. Um, that's why I didn't answer your question. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was like, like, that's a dramatic oh. pause and a half. My, my bad. Um, so do you guys have any like favorite? battles from the book any favorite moments that you thought were like oh shit moments for me i think there's some really cool morally gray stuff that happens in this story that kind of surprised me like i know the 41st millennium has always been a little like who really are the good guys right but this was to me one of the first times that it 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 punched me in the face but it wasn't super obvious like jared i know you're a gray knights guy and there's that whole thing where they like killed a bunch of sisters of battle right right that was like that's a, a moment that the fans don't particularly love because it seemed to kind of come out of nowhere and was like gratuitously violent it wasn't morally gray it's morally dark right yeah right that yeah morally like this, black is what i would call that <laughs> right this felt like there were some key events in this story that i thought felt truly morally gray that put the characters in interesting positions that kind of paints the imperium in a less than savory light well, i mean it's always been considered less than savory i would think i mean they don't call it the grimdark for a reason and i think um people who read some of the darker books like if you've read any of the eisenhorn books or if you read anything like that like they they do some shady stuff to get things done and i think um this book just kind of brings that a little bit more to the forefront for those who don't necessarily read the novels Right. Well, like, like, and I think the only place where I'm going to differ with you on that, though, is like most of that stuff ha usually has to do with like the already shady organizations, right? Like, of course, space yeah. marines are almost always pretty much like we stand, especially like the ultramarines, like we do everything right all the time. We're insufferable. Right. In this book, that's not the case. Right. For sure. Like, Gilliman makes some tough decisions. Like, something that I think about a lot when I read this book was like he basically passes an order to the crimson fists to protect a escape route from infestation from a nurgle infestation because of course nurgle are there too <laughs> and uh 
he has them just mow down everybody. Well, I, like, so, Danny, let me interrupt you, buddy, because I actually, like, I made a note of this event, the one okay. that you're talking about, and I've actually got a quote from the book. So, Please hit me with it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so they've been set up, you know, and and um, Gaiman has, has made this decision that, you know, containment is the most important thing. So the Calgar. Calgar, right. Calgar has made this decision. And so the passage begins. The true cost of this decision, of course, was to the civilians. With one curt order, Calgar abandoned tens of millions, damming them to, from Glaive Point to the Rescalid Underworks. Refugees fled in great crowds, seeking to be let along the fort wall to Hyperia. They were held back by the crimson fists assigned to that region. For hiding amongst the unsullied citizens, and even the Astra Militarum, were neophytes and broodbrothers in thrall to the pauper princes. When rocks were thrown by protesters, the Space Marines opened fire. The resultant carnage was to form an indelible blemish on the honor of that chapter, especially given that they were later forced to concede the fort wall to the cultists. Still, Calgar was convinced their actions had been necessary. Wow. Like, that's not something you see from the boys in blue very often. Yeah, I cried a little tear. <laughs> I bet you did, man. You love your, your fists. I do, yeah, and no. because because of the honor that they bring to the chapter and the Imperium, like they were, you know, the one true chapter that kind of stood by everything. I mean, Cantor gives up basically Rin's world, like concedes it to be a, a defeat and not punish the orcs, and you know, buries all that to rebuild this chapter, and like that's the kind of way they've operated throughout the history of the Imperium is you know, long-term goals and honor above all else and to, to just massacre the civilians. It, it, it made me feel like the dark angels had infiltrated the crimson fists. So. Yeah. And, and that's not the only time, uh, I don't think it's the Imperial fist. I think it's the iron hands do it. Or maybe it's the mechanicus, but again, under Calgar's yeah. order, he, they burned down a whole section, like a, basically like a subcontinent because, the Nurgle Gellerpox was going to hit these shipping lanes. And so they burned that whole section down. And again, just to find that three ships infected by the Gellerpox still make it off the planet. Yeah. And that was actually, so the, the follow-up to that, those ships was actually one of my like favorite short story moments from yeah. the book. Cause the rogue, there's a rogue trader and she discovers that there was a ship that left the port before the cleanse. And so she gets in, her fastest ship, which is not a war vessel, to track down this freighter. And it's like at the um I can't remember the name of it. The there's like a, a turning point where the the ship would be able to make warp space, you know, yeah. far enough far enough away from the the planet's gravity and the sun's gravity to be able like to jump point make, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so she catches up to the ship. She's got her and like her finest crew. And so they they don't have any weapons on the ship, so they have to board the ship. And so it doesn't detail what happens. The only thing that you're told is that she's the only one that makes it back. And as soon as she gets back, either she looks through more records or somebody comes to her with more records that two other ships left on the same day. And Ugh. at this point are now sending Gellerpox infected towards Terra. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So they're definitely planting seeds all over this. Yeah. Like for me, I think my favorite little mini story was so after these shields fall, the orcs, of course, pour into these cities, but they're orcs. So they get beat back pretty often. And so they keep coming back with like mech boys and then like killicans and then stompas and then like huge stompas. And 
it basically sparks this one uh, house of Imperial Knights to defend the honor of their house because there's some shady, we don't know what happened at that house, but they're like a little too eager. And so they think they might have been infected by uh, maybe some kind of Slaneshi vibes from the Great Rift. So they charge out there go way overextend themselves. And so they see this, so the Imperial forces decide to use this as an opportunity while all the orcs are focused on the knights. And our two favorite bike chapters ride out across the desert together, like a huge cavalry charge. You've got the white scars and the, the raven wing from the Dark Angels flying through the desert on their way to basically hammer an anvil and end this orc threat. And at the last minute, the Dark Angels, surprise, surprise, peel off, abandon the White Scars, <laughs> and they run straight into this giant sandstorm called the Vulian Swirl. And what made this really intriguing to me is because, of course, we know that the Dark Angels will always act in their own self-interests, and that is almost always due to their little secret, and they don't want that to get out, and so there was something to do probably with the Fallen going on. Yep. And there's a little section towards the end of the fluff part of this book that talks about the Vulian Swirl and how it's been on this planet. Like, imagine the red spot on Jupiter. It's been on this planet forever. It doesn't move, and yet it still is sustained, and so that many people believe that there's something in the storm sustaining it. And so now oh, I'll man. the Dark Angels to go find out. So how did, like, I'm really excited to read the rest of this because I've only read a little bit of it so far, but how does this set up the events for the next story that's coming? Well, uh, believe it or not, it has to do with clouds <laughs> because oh, gosh. apparently Vigilus is very cloudy. This is kind of one of the most like deus ex machina things I've seen GW do in a while. But the whole planet is, a guess, covered in a heavy cloud, like industrial cloud cover. And despite the fact of having space marines dropped in by gunship and Eldar raids and Drukhari raids and orcs bouncing off the planet, boingy, nobody, boingy, boingy. Yeah, nobody decided to look above the clouds. And the reason they give is because it was illegal to look at the sky so that you wouldn't go insane and look at the Great Rift. But, but wait, 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 the... wait. You couldn't look at the sky because you would go insane from seeing the Great Rift. But the entire planet is shrouded in clouds? Yep. That, okay. That's okay. Really I, just wanted to make, yep, I just <laughs> wanted to make sure I was on the same page. And so above these clouds, Trace's new best friend, Harkan, is up there with a bunch of chaos raptors and warp talons just breathing and hell jakes just reaving the crap out of these imperial uh elites because these elites are the ones that live at the top of these spires and just like everything imagine if like above the cloud cover is a whole new planet chaos has taken that over mm. and the ultramarines counterattack. And it's at that time that Harkan basically takes over everybody's voxes and like all the Imperial communications across the planet and announces 80 days. This, yeah. 80 this planet days. will fall to abandon the despoiler. And at the time of this up. recording tomorrow. Yes. One day yep. setting up the new abandoned model 
a huge, what appears to be a huge new chaos release because we'll get into that later, but there's some leaks that are, or not leaks, but, uh, they're rumor engine. The demon engine is the demon engine. Sorry. Yes, the demon engine has controlled. And the demon engine has told us that there are many things coming. And some of those pictures are not listed in that new book, the new box that's coming out. Exactly. And so that's what it's setting up is more black Legion, which has me really excited. I don't love chaos by any means, but I'm super excited that they're actually following through with the storyline from Gathering Storm. Because if if that crusade had been another, like, yeah, Abaddon took Cadia, but now he doesn't do anything, it would have kind of been a stinker, in my opinion. But the fact that they're moving this forward and turning him into a very face-forward threat is really thrilling to me. Well, and I think um, if you've... I know Jared's read the books, and I've read them twice now. But the, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I would never read that heresy. I would never say that that's probably some of the best 40k lore that I've ever read. It and it's, really and is. I would, and I would never say that it almost made me sympathetic towards the Traitor Legions. I would never the, say that. The Emperor is listening. I know. That's why I would never say that, Danny. This is not an ASMR podcast, Danny. Um, Challenge accepted. <laughs> so, what I mean, what I can say about all that is that most of what we know about Abaddon is that Abaddon, while it's they've painted him in such a bad picture, every time that he's cru- he's crusaded in, it's been for a specific purpose, and then he retreats back to the eye, and it's not because he's like failed or whatever. I mean, I know that some of the Imperial dogma will tell you that Ooh, he's been defeated. Imperial truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's been um, driven back into the eye. That he's been right. He hasn't retreated. We've we've pushed right. him back. Tail okay. tucked and all. Correct. Yep. Um, he did deliver on this last campaign, though, blowing up some some pylons and making the eye nice and large and snuffing out the Astronomicon. You Just know, remember, the planet broke before the guard fell. This is true. Stands. Creed's still standing there somewhere. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so... I'm I'm really I'm personally really excited about the next phase of this, like because I'm I'm the chaos fanboy fanboy in this group, and I just think that it's it's really nice to have what's in my mind the grand the grand villain come back into the scene. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and so I think i think just having this next book be more focused on the chaos versus imperium side and like having the other factions just kind of play side role is going to be a really cool event that we haven't really seen in a while um other than like gathering storm and you know the the other armageddon campaign and all that other stuff like just all those other big campaigns that we've seen in the past it's just nice to have that back in the forefront so um yeah and i and I do have to say real quick, like this campaign over all the ones that you just mentioned, like for me, GW has done this, like the lore and the setting and the in- incorporating everything together the best because I actually want to play in this campaign. Like the other ones kind of feel like you, you um, kind of like have to make your forces like fit, like kind of like pushing the puzzle pieces together and they're not the right puzzle pieces, but this, the puzzle just lays out perfectly. And I want to like immerse myself into this, this lore and participate with my army on the battlefield. This one feels more like you're actually taking part in the story and less of being drug on rails. You yes. know? Yeah. yeah. They've done a very good job of 
uh, like streamlining it in the sense that like if you think about Gathering Storm, all of these factions are also involved in Gathering Storm except for the orcs, basically. And yet it didn't feel as natural. Correct, yeah. This feels much more cohesive. It feels less um, insular. And one of the things that I think Vigilus does is it makes Gathering Storm better. Yes. Because some of the Agreed. threads that they, they gave us in Gathering Storm, when Gathering Storm ended, you kind of felt unfulfilled, but not in a good way. It didn't leave you asking what's next. It left you left you kind of asking why. Why did we go through this? Like right. all it was all it did was set up Gilliman and the Indomitus Crusade. Like nothing else seemed to have a ton of consequence. But mm-hmm. now, even with like this little thread about the Dark Angels going off to that Boolean swirl, that makes Cypher's really lame gathering storm storyline feel a Suddenly lot more, much more intriguing yeah, yeah. Right. i mean and with that because you've bashed both my chapters in this recap i'm very very hurt but <laughs> you know i, why just, I love the dark angels i, I, really I would just like to say that this campaign is has two very very important things for my chapters crimson fist and i have a ravenwing army like so the crimson fist is the first time that my brethren have been deployed in mass in centuries so don't take that away from us we sent like you know, five companies and, and the dark angels. Yes. We may have gotten sidetracked by the swirly thing in the desert. But when, (laughs) when the chaos showed their faces on the spires, we dispatched them within an hour. Okay. When we bring the pain of the Raven wing and the death wing work gets done. Did they dispatch them or did they collect them? Oh, Oh, good question. Okay, Asking that, that was omitted. That was omitted from the record <laughs> books. You're not supposed to read that three sentences down. We dispatched them. <laughs> just redact that entire part That's of the right. podcast, Jared, and just yeah, like yeah. beep. Yeah, 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 I'll edit it out in post. I'm not going to edit it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's where we are in Vigilus. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, I think, so, um, I think it just really, like I said, it, it just, it's just really nice because we're just on the precipice of something great. And I think that this is what's going to be um, so much fun over the next couple months. And especially leading up into events that we'll talk about later when we're going to Nova, like we're going to be participating in narrative. It won't be this narrative, but it's going to get us fired up for that narrative too. Um, so we'll kind of move on now and talk a little bit about what's coming since we know a little bit about what's coming because they've previewed it. Um, so, we know now that there's a Shadow Spear box coming out. We've known that it was going to be coming, but now we know what's in it. And we know that there's two kind of new factions in that book that kind of get tucked into their respective codexes. Um, and those are the Demon Kin and the Shadow Spear Strike Force, right? Yeah, so, so it's the Vanguard. Vanguard. This is the Vanguard, not Vanguard Chamber. No, Vanguard. <laughs> The Vanguard company. Vanguard. We don't know yet. That's my pet project right now. So don't make <laughs> me put on that tinfoil hat. Um, so, but there's have all a these name. crazy new models that are coming out, right? Um, there's <sighs> new. There's resculpted Chaos Marines that are coming. Damn you, GW. That's all I have to say. They're because gorgeous. I, I thought I was done with Space Marines. I'm here, like working on my Tyranid. And then, you know, on the Age of Sigmar side, I'm working on those, and I'm like, okay, they're not doing anything new with the Grey Knight, so I'm fa- safe. Like, I'm not painting power armor right now. Everything is good. And then they released that Librarian, which was one of the first, and then everything else that came after. And I'm like, oh. 
falls directly into your scout stuff that you have already? Yeah, yep. Well, you know, when you collect exorcists, they do have three companies of scouts, so it makes sense to play a scout-heavy army, and now they release basically primary scouts. So, Well, and just they, speaking to kind of why I'm, why I'm excited about it is because I've always kind of felt like that Chaos used demons as a resource, right? So the fact that they're using, that they're bringing in this demon kin part of the of the of the um, codex with all these demon engines and, and the demon um, troops. I think that's just going to be a really cool way to tie in to how I like to play, which is to kind of marry the demons in with the chaos Marines. So um, the fact that they have that, um, the venom, the venom crawler that's supposed to like warp reality and make things easier and more stable for demons to come through. Um, and then not, not to mention the, the, the new sorcerer that actually has a whole new, um, psychic discipline that we've not even know, we don't even know anything about yet. Um, and I'm, I'm only speculating that it has to do with making those demon kin troops stronger or demons stronger or other chaos Marines stronger, just more buffs for the chaos Marine stuff. So I think, um, and the new obliterators, I'm just not even going to talk about those because those it's are a family show trace gorgeous models that i've ever seen <laughs> um gorgeously gross but um so danny like what are you excited about any particular type of the new troops that are coming out like i am really excited for the miniatures i'm a miniatures first guy uh, these guys will tell you i am pretty horrendous at crafting uh an army based purely off of how it'll perform on the table i'm all like Oh, this book says that they have three squads of this and four squads of that, and I'm going to paint them to look exactly like they look in the book, and then I'm going to put them on a table, and I'm going to pretend that I don't care when they all die, but I'm going to be really frustrated because I should have just made a better army. And... <laughs> but anyway. That sums <laughs> up like five but years of our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, those sniper models, uh, those are... Trace is to obliterators as Danny is to those sniper models. And I have zero, um, like, I don't really love the fantasy of snipers. Like, that's not been something, I've never had scout snipers in my army. I've never had an assassin sniper in my army. Uh, I've never been big into, like, war stories about snipers or anything like that. I don't know what it is. It just doesn't hit me. But those miniatures are so freaking cool that I'm like, yeah, give me an all-sniper army and give it to me yesterday, please. Like, and I, I haven't even read the rules on them. I just know that they look cool and they've got hoods. And so, Jason, your Dark Angels aren't the only guys with hoods anymore. <laughs> what if I told you, Danny, that the rumor is on those is that you can actually fire at units out of line of sight and you get more accurate when you do so? I'd say it's got to be a typo. <laughs> that's just, I mean, I'm assuming that's a typo as well, but... Based let's off of let's assume that it isn't. Seen. Let's just right. act under the assumption it's not. So you're hitting things behind cover on a two. How great is that, right? So yeah, give me that army of snipers. Right there, you go. There's now. <laughs> now he's now he's getting tickled. And yeah. what if I told you, Danny, that some of the other rounds that they get were actual heavy shots, but they do D three damage, and if they if you roll a six to wound, they cause a mortal wound on top of that D three damage. I would tell you that under me, they'd still just be one damage. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> that seems fair. But I no, know for sure they would be for me. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. The, the, I'm 
how, Jason, how do you feel about like to me this kind of box? It's like all Phobos, which is that Reaver style armor. Like, does that tickle your fancy, or are you kind of wishing there was a little more uh, disparity between the, the models? No, I I really like the models, and the reason there's two reasons I like the models. One, because I I think they're going for this spec op style of Space Marine, which they try to hit with the Reavers and give them a cool mask. But functionally on the table, the Reavers really never, you know, kind of hit their mark. But Bro, I love my Reavers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Point made. Thank Dude, you. Dude, I've made a mess with the Reavers before. Let's be real. Come on. <laughs> but, Except for that but, one Zangor. That one Zangor. Yeah. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> Left me chasing all day. But the, the, the aesthetic of these models hit like real world spec ops, in yes. my opinion, really well. So like the way the gun is laid out and kind of the, their, their positioning, um, which I think is a great cross between, you know, kind of like what we want a Vanguard space Marine to look like um, and the way he functions uh, on the table. And then there's a lot of synergies with the, some of the, the maybe rumor mill uh, rules where the forces of the traditional primary space Marine um, will kind of be like the backfield role and these guys deploying up front and, and cause havoc. And the other reason that I'm really excited about it is, it all goes back to the lore of the Crimson Fist. So, you know, my Primaris army is my Crimson Fist army. And in the, the first of the year edition of White Dwarf, there's a, you know, a little snapshot of Crimson Fists in there and kind of explains their history and the way that they go to battle now uh, after the Rin's World where they lost their entire chapter. Uh, and they focus on kind of that, that guerrilla style of combat. So not only does my chapter get replenished um, with Primaris, but now I have a chamber of Space Marines that I can utilize. Uh, and for all of you, like, I apologize, we made that that inside joke probably three or four times, but uh, there is a lot of sharing from Age of Sigmar and the the um, the release pattern. Yeah, of. the release patterns of. Stormcast Eternals, so that's why I make that joke. But um, no, they they're gonna fit that lore piece for me on Crimson Fist, and I think be completely different functionality on on the table. The only model that doesn't speak to me is the semi flying assault cannon, but or auto cannon. But the the rules intrigue me, but I don't really like the model. So yeah, I, I like what you said made me think of two things that I that. I really love about this release. And when you're talking about like the spec ops look of it, like the little details in these models are really cool. Cause like everything from like the little pouches and the knives are really like, they have a real, this is the most realistic space Marine launch we've ever had. And one of the things that really like, I made me kind of like, like kiss my fingers was those snipers on their right knee, the knee that they kneel on, they don't have a knee pad. It's like a padded, like cloth knee piece and like that's just brilliant that's brilliant like they're looking at these models from a functional standpoint now because like it would be more comfortable it would make less noise when they kneel down and they're supposed to be stealthy that's genius and what i also love about this kind of vanguard approach that they're doing here is it's getting primaris to that place where they can be that like alpha strike army like right now like with the way buffs work and everything like Primaris, in my opinion, are best played kind of in a bunch in like a gun line. 
and now like you're kind of getting back to the old school like drop pod space marines like you can drop them in and cause mayhem like in their face in the backfield and i think that's really exciting from a space marine traditionalist like myself yeah because if if the rumors hold true you're going to get hq choices that can infiltrate like scouts so you could or drop in with their or drop in with their their floaty I, I waved my hands like wings. Yeah, veins. Yeah, that's good. This yeah, is a video radio, show. Yeah, with the with the grab veins. Yeah, because it yeah because it looks like the, I think that the lieutenant model has the grab veins on his backpack. Yeah. Um, but the librarian can actually set up on the table like a scout can. If, yeah. From from what the if the rumors that right. we've seen as, are true, as can the captain. And I can't tell you how many times I wish that I had infiltrating HQs back in sixth and seventh edition when I was playing, you know, my heavy scout space Marine army. So again, yeah. I say, damn you GW. <laughs> it just allows, it allows the army to be supported in the front to Danny's point. It allows you to, to push a flank or set up on a position, uh, you know, with the rules to support the space rings fighting in that style where the primaris were just lacking in it, it you know it's a long-term plan right like you don't want to show all your primaris plans right out the book like right out the gate so i mean i'm sure we'll see other things come down the line a year or two like with a you know a heavy you know support roles and stuff and all by the, the time it's all said and done like yeah we'll have a really really unique fighting force for space Marines, but uh, these models are great and I can't wait to get more crimson fists in the army and then, you know, exorcists, right, Jared, it's happening. So the salamanders would be really happy next time because that's going to be the Drake's horn chamber. So, <laughs> oh, yep, yep. I want so, them riding the Drake's. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. need Primaris riding dragons or, I don't wanna... or dragons riding Primaris. Either way. I... I don't want to end this segment though without I Trace. I really want to hear it from you. I wanted I want to hear how excited you are to kind of rejuvenate this chaos model line. Man, you know, I when I first got into this 40k part of this game, you know, I I tried to like ride ride from one game to the other by playing demons, and you know, there's when I first started, it was right. It, started chaos marines it was right at the beginning of sixth edition and they brought out all those cool new demon engines so you had your mauler fiend and you had your forge fiend and you had the hell drake and you had stuff like that and i just i felt like those releases were a little out of place but now with this new edition and the new revamping of the models and the new like warp tainted versions of these chaos marines that are coming out I'm really pumped to see what kind of goes forward with this because that Venom Crawler, not only is it a really cool model, but it's just it's just a really cool concept. Yeah. To think that it's like a mobile warp point for for demons to come in and or or for demons to get stronger around it, and then you know the possessed and stuff too. The greater possessed, they're supposed to like boost the abilities of those demonic creatures around it I, I just think the from a from aesthetic point of view it's way overdue for those base models to to get a facelift and you know when they when they released the sixth edition box and they had those chosen in there and we saw how gorgeous those chosen were mm-hmm. even though they were push fit we were just like oh my gosh this is going to be so great when they release these new models and now 
that we're seeing the tail end of that and seeing it actually come five to years later, five or five years later. Yeah. Now that we're seeing that come to fruition, it just feels, it feels like it's the right time to reintroduce those models back into the story. And so as much as I hate that they waited that long, I can say that I'm really happy that they brought them in and they're, they're doing them the service that I feel that they are due with um, just really trying to have them come in with some pow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they are. And I am by no means a heretic or Dark any of the likes. Um, but they've really captured the essence. Like we're much like the Primaris Vanguard have the spec ops feel like, the chaos have metal and death feel, but at the same time they look like veterans, right? Like they look they look grizzled, yeah. Yeah, grizzled. And I know that you, you know, kind of skipped over the obliterators just a little bit because you're so so ready for that. So touched. Yeah, those models are by far the essence of what chaos is and always should be with the amount of guns that they've crammed on there, the bulk that they have, like I can't wait to see this model built and in front of me because it is amazing. And now you can edit that out and delete it like I never said that. <laughs> I am genuinely stoked for what I'm I'm hoping it, it feels like with the, the rumor demon engine and what they've shown in this box and what they've done in Blackstone and they did with the Nurgle and what they did with the Zinch Marines. If they're going to come out with a box set of just standard Marines that look like these monopose Marines they've had for Chaos, that's going to be such a good thing for the game in general yep. because yeah. it will feel so much more threatening to have those on the board than those. And, and I love those old sculpts in, in a nostalgic way, but those old Chaos Space Marines with like the horns connecting in the middle and like their little skinny legs. Yeah, they just don't like, feel in place in no. this universe now with no. the the scale of the primaris you know the blackstone fortress marines are really beefy like yeah. and so the nurgle one the the plague marines mm -hmm. huge yeah, yeah. and, and I, even the um the rubrics from yeah, uh, the rubrics from are tall Suns they're are super tall, tall. yeah the yeah. rubrics are really tall they're not they're not as tall as the primaris are but they're not much shorter than right. the primaris and, um good and if they do that and they can i think it looks like they might be doing Terminators as well, which is maybe the kit besides Corn Berserkers that need it the most. Yep. And yeah. if you can get Corn Berserkers within a few years, that model range is incredible. Yeah, because the the Demon Engine, the Rumor Engine, has shown all these other screenshots that we haven't actually that you don't actually see in that Shadow Spear box, which is what yeah. has me really excited. Yeah, like I get like to a... basically revamp my entire Chaos Force if I want to. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a trophy rack. There was a yeah. lightning claw yesterday or today. There was also a heavy um, bolter that was shown too. Yep, that's yep. not um, that's not anywhere. shown there because it looks like the the push fit was actually an auto cannon. So yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm really well, excited. we don't know these are push fit, right? The, the, the rumor is that they are push fit, or that they'll be monopose in the same mo in the same mold as like the like the primaris marines are how they're more monopose not right. push fit but mono yeah yeah the, that's, the dark that's what, models well so they the, on the warhammer community site they had a post about it today that says that like a, the heads and the backpacks like something else on the primaris will all be interchangeable and so that leads me to believe that it's more monopose and not push fit because push fit would be 
they would have pegs like the Blackstone right. Fortress stuff has right. and crossbars that you just can't work around. Yeah. Okay. So before, before we move on, I have uh, two more comments. Like just from a retail side, being a retailer my entire career, career the design space and the retail space that they're creating by moving the primary line forward in the chaos, like re- if they do revamp Terminators, like how cool would it be that this iconic unit is now only available to the iconic faction that is 40k? Not saying that you can still play your normal Space Marine Terminators, but like the redesigned resculpt would be chaos p- specific, and then that allows them to have different rules and really expand that that heresy style of long war veteran where the primaries uh, can yeah. push in other areas. Yep. So definitely really cool. It allows old to... design features too and, and update mm-hmm. them. And, well, and, yeah. and they, I think the cool Avenue, I think they're going to keep pushing down. And especially since they're releasing this demon kin stuff is that the chaos Marines don't have a lot of those resources to invent and create. So they have to use what they have and they taint things and they make things stronger through, want of power and want of excess and you know all the different all the deities and what they favor so i just think that it's just a really great space for us to be in um so we're gonna take a break and well hang on i think jason had a second thing to say oh you had a second thing sorry one thing before we close this out so you have 30 seconds where does vigilus go from here what are your what are your thoughts, Trace? Like, what's the next step in in the story? I think you, well, from my dark hope, is that the webway, or the way closes, the way is shut. Um, and now you have this whole other animal, you're cut off, like you have two sides of the Imperium completely cut off from each other, and now you have two fronts, and this point of strength for the chaos Marines in the, in the middle. And that's what I'm hoping happens because that's just such an interesting story to have. Like I, I love the idea of having the good guys with their backs against the wall, but I still want them to succeed at the same time as weird as that is for me to root for the bad guy and still root for the good guy at the same time. Yeah. Danny, you can take the Imperium side of that question. Where does it go? I think we're talking about a a fighting retreat for the Imperium. I think the way will be barred but not shut. And I think this sets the stage for Games Workshop's license to print money, Sisters of Battle. They'll be the next campaign to fight back and eradicate the chaos taint from the Nakmund Gotland and get us our way back into the Imperial Nihilus. Wow, that is... That is great. Well, with that, as Trace was heading into, I think we're going to take a break. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes or a couple seconds for you uh, with a cracked glass. All right, and welcome to Cracked Glass. This is your podcast, Shade Spire Noob, Danny guiding you through a question about the Shadespire Underworld's Night Vault metagame that's going on right now and asking the advice from these three 
genius Underworlds players to help me find my way around these hexes and wrap my head around this game that I just cannot get. So guys, right now, my rats, they're getting annihilated by the bully on the corner, Molog. So Jason, start me off. How in the world do I beat this frickin' troll? A runaway. Oh, all right, done. <laughs> End of segment. No, so for me, you know, I'm playing Godsworn Hunt, and uh, you know, the Molog bully in the room is definitely there. Uh, you definitely have to deal with them. You're going to see them when you go to an event or a weekly game. Uh, and for me, like my tech with uh, with the Godsworn Hunt is Lethal Strike card, which is double your damage on a crit. And the way that my warband, like I'm a glass cannon, you you push breeze at me and my guys die, uh, but I roll a lot of dice and I can compound that damage. So for me is, uh, you know, set Molog up, let him come in like on turn one, hopefully he doesn't inspire, um, let him come in, take out one of my fighters and then counter punch really quickly uh, with a lot of dice, hopefully doubling the damage. Um and yeah, that's that's kind of how how I set him up to t- to take him out. Uh, you know, some other things would be in your deck. Make sure that you have s- some movement shenanigans. So taking away his movement, you know, with a transfixing stare or frozen in time. Uh, really, your objective when you're playing him with Gonsworn Hunt is to limit him to an activation and a half because he gets two activations to do kind of whatever he wants. And if you can limit him to an act- activation and a half. And then hit him with that quick haymaker upper punch into lethal strike. Uh, he he can go down, uh, but you also have to be willing to to lose some fighters and some glory. So it's not an easy task for me in my warband, but by golly, we're gonna try to try to take him down this coming weekend. Which would you recommend? Something that's like a single attack that does a ton of damage, or just death by a thousand cuts? Uh, the, the problem is with death by a thousand cuts is then he inspires, and then he can double charge in a turn. So I prefer to do one major attack, but you have to know your warband and cards and, and play to that. Cause I will say that even dealing with him that way for me, sometimes I wait too long and he's too tooled up and then he's just popping my fighters before my giant blow can come. Like, I mean, I play trace, a week ago, and I think I lost twenty-four to four, and really, <laughs> it really it came. So that's down a normal to, game for me, yeah, right? Yeah. It came down to like a dice roll, and for me, just one activation too late. Like if I would have acted a little bit quicker, I would have stood stood a chance, but but I did not, and uh, you know that's that's kind of my advice. How the cookie crumbles. Yeah. Well, Jared, how do how do we wind up? your warband to get this massive hit against Molog, or, or are you trying a totally different strategy? Yeah, so I'm running fa- uh, Far Striders and doing a little bit control um, with uh, with some tools to, to strike back if I need to, but the idea behind the way I'm running them is really to deny my opponent glory. So I have a ton of movement shenanigans, uh, Fainway Crystal, Hidden Paths. Um, I've got Sprint, which doubles your move. I've got... Um, the Farstrider specific card that doubles your move. I've got the plus two move. Um, and the idea there is, is, you know, hopefully win the, the roll off and, uh, and just run away from, from Molog as best you can. Um, the nice thing about the Farstriders is with range, even though I'm only doing one damage, all of his uh, little griblies that follow him around are two health. So if I can get two shots off, you know, that's going to net me a glory, which is going to net me a kill, which hopefully gets my guys tooled up. Um, the one thing I will say is that 
At the end of the day, Molog is typically only rolling two dice to attack. So if you're running Stormcast, uh, you can get yourself on two shields, which makes a huge difference. And uh, as far as I know, and Trace can correct me if I'm wrong later, um, as he is the Molog player, there's no way to give Molog an innate cleave. So having those double shields on defense is going to be a, a big part of that. But for me, a lot of it is avoiding and trying to punk those Griblies. Um, it to definitely get my takes. Glory up. Well, if there's any thing like so, let's say you have a warband that is not necessarily great at the movement idea of trying to get glory through not attacking Molog. What are some quick cards or tips that you think people should be able to throw in their deck and try to maximize that strategy for a warband that's not necessarily built for that strategy? Um, yeah, so, you know, any of the plus damage upgrades, um, and then throwing those on cleave, uh, any characters that have cleave, um, there's a card, an upgrade that you can play, uh, if you roll a crit, you get cleave, um, you know, if you're playing with damage boards, you can do knockback to try to push Molog back into knockback, but I'd say, you know, to Jason's point, if you try to, you know, death by a thousand cuts, you're going to end up inspiring Molog, so, you know, your best bet is probably going to be to go for two activation kills. So you want somebody swinging for three or four damage each and just pop him twice and be done with Wipe it. it. Yep. All right. Well, then, as you said, Trace, you're the, the, the Molog master, the big cheese of the troll underworld. What are you trying to do when you get on that board? What's your main goal? My main goal, at least initially, is to get Molog inspired as quickly as possible. Um and as such, I usually try and run at least one Inspiration card in my deck, um, if not two. So sometimes I'll run Inspiration Strikes and I'll run Regal Vision as well. Um, and if I have a Regal Vision in my deck, I'll always try and set up a um, an objective somewhere close to me within three hexes of Moloch's starting position. And I always use him. He's Everybody knows what he does. So use him as a bully. Use him as a as a threat piece right there on the front lines so that people either try and come at you and give you some easy glory to inspire with um, or <clears throat> you try and put yourself in the best position. You have to think with Molog, it's, it's not just run forward and smash. You actually have to think a couple turns ahead. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is plan out my route, how I can best play whack-a-mole with with my opponent and um so what i try and do is just if i can set up larger warbands like uh god's horn hunt goblins um the the skeletons night the night haunt <clears throat> they all have to set up on all the starting hexes right or m most of them at least so i can usually set myself up to where i can attack first turn and at least get one glory to start my glory train, start equipping some of those upgrades that help me to get more accurate, faster, stuff like that. So I'll use a lot of the same tricks that Jason was talking about. I'll use transfixing stare to keep somebody in place, or I'll keep, or I'll use some, something like that to just make sure that I can get where I need to go to get my glory train started. Um, and those first, if I can get a couple lucky pops, the first two fighters, I've got you kind of nervous about where you're going. So I just keep pressing that advantage from that point on. So inspire early, understand that you can't just activate every time and think ahead. Use your stalag squig as support for you for the first couple attacks because that gives you better accuracy because you get single supports most of the time. Um, so 
he's got two shields. He has exactly the same Stormcast defense stats. So, like, let him take a hit. Like, some of the smaller warbands, they're not going to do anything. It might do one damage. Um, some of the larger warbands, like, or some of the more fighty warbands, like Magorn and stuff like that, just don't put him next to somebody who has Cleave. Um, and just try and get him, try and get Molog inspired as early as possible. That's the best advice I can give to you. All right. Well, I'm writing this down to bring to my next event. Sounds like when you're fighting Molog, bring a gun to a gunfight, cleave the crap out of his shields, go for one big hit, swing for the fences. If you can't do that, stay away, deny him glory all day, because all Molog is going to be looking to do is inspire right away. So don't give him an excuse to inspire. And he's going to try to tempt you into facing his front and just taking his big old club to the face. And not many things will survive that. So unless you've got your cannon ready to fire at Molog's face, don't do it, Danny. And that's what we got at Cracked Glass today. Good luck. May you fare better against these guys than I ever will because I'm still going to make dumb calls because I just don't get it. Well, that rounds us out for episode two on the precipice of the Battle Mallet podcast. Um, we've had a great time. Um, really looking forward to everything that's coming down the line from the, the Vigilist campaign and the, the new models from the Shadow Spear and uh, Trace's barely contained excitement for the uh, impending Chaos Space Marine release. Um, <laughs> yep, there it is. Barely contained. Um, so uh, if you've stuck with us this long, we, we want to thank you for listening. Um, be sure to find us on Facebook. Uh, find us on iTunes. Uh, we're uh, on Instagram. We're on Twitter. So, but, uh, you know, if, if you like what we're doing and, you know, you want other people to be able to come along this journey with us, be sure to give us likes and reviews on Show Facebook. Show some support. Yeah. Um, and if you don't like us, let us know. You know? Give us some feedback so we can improve. Yeah, it's just for you guys. Fragile. We just talk about it. Yeah, I mean, Danny is super fragile. Um, so yeah, you do have to be gentle with him. Um, so, you know, just uh, another another week, another another show talking about balancing life. Um, Jason's still super jealous of uh, of your time with your daughter uh, this past weekend. Um, you know, just raising up that the next generation of gamers. Uh, you know, to be to be, you know, more people who are, are in it to love it and in it to win it. Um, so for the Battle Mallet podcast, uh, this is Jared. I'm Danny. This is Veteran of Long War Trace. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I'm Jason Table Dude Murray. Yeah. So uh, this is us. This It's three dudes and a, or three dads. And a dude who turns into a pumpkin after 11. So, <laughs> and it's 10:48, suckers. It's time I to know. go. So, <laughs> as uh, as Mr. Table Noob often says, get the hell out of here. Peace. Battle Mallet Podcast is protected under the Creative Commons license. If you have further questions as to its use, you can find more information via links on podcast.battle-mallet.com.
This episode of the Battle Mallet Podcast was produced by me, Jared Johnson. Music by Anno Domini Beats. Sounds like Danny's stepping in the poop and needs to get out. Get out of the poop, Danny.